Hello. Is that better? Yay. I don't have to have a microphone in kids' church. I've just got a loud voice. Um, morning. Now, I'm aware that some of you here and watching on screen will know me really well. And others of you will think, who is this woman? I have never seen her face in that adult meeting. Why do I have to listen to her for 20 minutes? Which I think is a really valid question. So I thought I'd give a little introduction. It is my first time in the adult meeting indoors. Woo, very exciting. So I'm Sarah. Um, my husband and I and our two little boys, as were, joined the church when it started 20 years ago. Scott's fault, he leafleted our house. We lived just up the hill, um, and we moved from a church the other side of town to here. Um, and I became deacon for children's work about 15 years ago, and then gave up my job in primary school and started working on the staff team in September 2014. And so normally I teach children in the pod on a Sunday morning, uh, which is a great privilege and a great honour but once or twice a year, I come in here and get the opportunity to preach as well. And uh, hands up, who has only seen me in a yellow T-shirt since the pandemic began? <laughs> Quite a lot of you, I feel. So I thought I'd prove today I do have other clothes. I don't only have yellow clothes. So the kids' team wear yellow T-shirts. That's why I say that. So a recap on the series so far. We have had some absolute gold, haven't we, the last two series? Daniel, last term, I loved that series. God's people in exile, holding on to what they believe, standing up for it despite living in a really different culture and facing persecution. And then this term, the 1 Peter series. So 1 Peter is one of the New Testament letters or epistles. And epistles is just a fancy word for a letter that goes out to a broader audience and is didactic. It's like it's teaching in its purpose. So how many books in the New Testament? Shout it out. 27. 27. Marvelous. Well done. And do you want to have a guess at how many of those 27 books are letters? Anyone brave enough? Oh, it's actually much higher. It's 21. Can you believe? Fun fact, first fun fact of the day, that only six of the letters in the New Testament aren't teaching letters. There you go. So when we read a letter, obviously we have to ask, why was it written? So one Peter was written by the disciple Peter, the hot-headed fisherman. He is my favorite disciple. He's slightly mad. And whether anything, when stuff is kicking off, he's always there, isn't he? in the thick of it, sometimes quite aggressively, love Peter. And we know that Peter made some mistakes, didn't he? Famously, he denied Jesus three times. We know that. But I would say, when the disciples were chatting, oh, who is Jesus? Some say you're, you're Elijah, some say you're Moses. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I can't say that sentence without goosebumps. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know the story, most of you, where um, some of the disciples are in a boat and they see this figure walking towards them on the water and they're like, what is it? Who is it? And it's Peter who says, if you're Jesus, I am coming. And he jumps overboard and he starts walking to Jesus. And we know he sinks and Jesus needs to hoik him back up. But the point to me is, he got out of the boat. He wasn't one of the ones that stayed in the boat. And um, to give you an insight into my world, last time we did this in kids' church, some of the children were like, 
why did Jesus walk on water? Why didn't he just swim? Was he showing off? Like, which is a great question, isn't it? As adults, we gloss over lots of things, and the children, which did, was a bit distracting. It led to quite a long conversation as to whether Jesus could swim, who taught him, how old he was. But anyway, it's a great question. At the time, 1 Peter was written, persecution was starting under Nero. So Peter, as people before me have said, he wrote this letter to the scattered believers to remind them that they are the elect chosen by God himself. Wow. And as Andy reminded us a few weeks ago, the letter reminds God people, God's people that God guards our faith, that we're promised our inheritance in heaven. It can't be taken from us because God is holding on to us. We've sung amazing songs of that kind of truth this morning, haven't we? Because faith isn't a feeling. We live in a society and a culture of feelings, don't we? But it's a belief. It's a deep-seated certainty in the core of our being that God is real. He made the universe. He sent Jesus. Whatever's happening in my day, that doesn't change. It's the decision we made to believe in Jesus, however long or short ago that was. And you and I, we're going to have good days like Peter where we go, Jesus, I'm coming. And we jump out of the boat and we're really bold. And then we'll have days like the other disciples where we're like, I love you, Lord, but not today. I'm just having a bit of a day. But that doesn't mean our faith isn't real because it's not based on feelings. Our faith is strong. And last week, Scott spoke brilliantly about Peter encouraging the Christians as they suffer and training them and us in how to suffer well and in a Christ-like way which these perfectly are for. We've only got four verses today. And they're about how and why Christ suffered. So the children, some of our children, are going to read the verses. It's going to go on the screen. I uh, wanted to bring a bit of kids' church into you guys. Um, it's from the ICB, the International Children's Bible Version. I have checked it and compared it with other adult versions, okay? So don't think, oh, that's quite sweet. It is actually translated. It's just simpler. And I love scripture being simple because I want to understand it. So, and they are super, super cute, but don't let that distract you from what they're actually saying. Simon. He did no sin, he never lied. People insulted Christ, but he did not insult them in return. Christ suffered, but he did not threaten. He let God take care of them. God is the one who judges rightly. Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross. He did this so that we would stop living for sin and start living for what is right. And we are healed because of his wounds. You were like sheep that went the wrong way, but now you have come back to the shepherd and oversee your souls. So I've been given the most straightforward passage of 1 Peter, I think. It's really familiar, isn't it? And we can choose to switch off at familiar verses, or we can choose to hear what God's saying, I think. you know, um, they, It's basically, it's Isaiah, some verses from Isaiah 53, isn't it? Popped into 1 Peter. And it's a beautiful passage, I think, because it's all about Jesus. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. So I'm going to pray. Let's pray, hey? Father God, I just, I lay my offering before you of all I've prepared this morning. But Holy Spirit, you have, you have my permission to change it, 
to tweak it as I speak. God, help our hearts, whether we're not yet Christians, whether we've recently become Christians, whether we're watching online or we're in the room, whether we've been Christians for years. God, would you help our hearts be tender to hear what you have to say to us this morning through this beautiful passage. Amen. So verse 22, I'm going to go through it three verse at a time because that's how I tend to do Bible studies. Verse 22, he did no sin, he never lied. So I want you to turn to the person next to you or around you and chat about what sin is. What's your best definition? You've got one minute, off you go. You're not going to have to tell me, I'll give you a definition, but what's your best definition? Okay, I'm going to bring that to an end. I hope that was helpful. We often read things, especially if we've been Christians a long time, but it's good to stop and think, I think. What does it mean? What we teach the children is sin is rebellion to God, basically. It isn't just doing and thinking and saying bad stuff. It's about our heart. It's about lack of obedience and trust in God. So it's rebellion to God. And I think that Jesus made it into his early 30s in a fully human body without ever sinning, quite astounding. Like, we can gloss over that because we know that. But that's amazing. If you look at it again, he knew the job he had to do. To get to in your early 30s and never sinned is mad. Like, it's so good, isn't it? And what that says to me is Jesus is not like me, actually, He is so pure and good, 100%, holy, set apart, different from us. It's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? But this is our Jesus. We sang beautiful songs about that this morning. However, at this point, the children always say, because we have amazing kids who know their scripture, one of them, in whatever age group, will always say, what about that time in the temple? What about that time he got really angry and he turned over all the tables. Anger's a sin, isn't it, Sarah? And you might be asking the same. I think that's a great question that adults often forget to ask. Actually, yet yeah, Jesus did get angry in the temple. But I would call that a righteous anger. Righteous just meaning right with God. You know, God hates injustice. And God is allowed to hate some things. He, like, he made everything, invented everything. He's, he hates injustice. He hates sin. And what was going on in the temple was really unjust. They were ripping off the poor people. You know, our youngest son, Matt, he's 21 now. He hates injustice. When the Black Lives Matter campaign was going on, we had some really good conversations over the dinner table. He was so passionate and emotional because he hates people being treated differently. He hates injustice. He hates bullying. And, you know, I said to him, I'm so proud of you because that's one of the ways in which God reveals displays his character in you. God hates injustice. So in verse 22, we've come off the back of what Scott preached about suffering and, you know, 
doing what you're told, even as a slave and so on, and enduring well. Peter sets the scene, he reminds the listeners that Jesus did no sin, he never lied. His words, as well as his actions, they were right, they were sincere, they were just. He didn't suffer because he'd done wrong, and that's important for us to remember a bit later. His suffering wasn't as a consequence of anything he'd done, it was totally undeserved. So we move to verse 23. People insulted Christ, but he did not insult them in return. Christ suffered, but he did not threaten. He let God take care of him. God is the one who judges rightly. Spurgeon said, Which hour do you think of the sufferings of the Lord from Gethsemane to Golgotha would be most deeply engraved upon the memory of Peter? Surely it would be that space of time in which he was mocked and buffeted in the hall of the high priest, when Peter sat and warmed his hands at the fire, when he saw his Lord abuse and was afraid to own that he was his disciple, and by and by became so terrified that with profane language he declared, I know not this man. So long as life lingered, the apostle would remember the meek and quiet bearing of his suffering Lord. I actually became a Christian through listening to a talk at Christian Union up on campus about all the suffering Jesus went through in the lead up to the cross. So I'd been brought up knowing Bible stories and I knew a bit about Jesus from my primary school. But during that talk, the jigsaw pieces of scripture came together And I can remember really clearly, 32 years on, I can still remember today how I felt when I sat, like you were sat and I heard about Jesus. And inside my head, I remember screaming, no, you can't do that to my Jesus. And it was at that moment I thought, my Jesus, yeah, I believe this. I believe this is true. This is horrendous what he went through for me. And to this day, I can't watch The Passion of the Christ some would say maybe that's wrong, but just the thought of it, I, can't, I couldn't bear it. Jesus had physical injuries, hitting, beating, buffeting, whipping, crown of thorns rammed onto his head. And he had an emotional beating. They blasphemed him, mocked him, ridiculed him, called him names, spat at him. Jesus had so much provocation to sin. So many times he could have just lost it. So many opportunities to retaliate. Can you imagine yourself in that situation? If even just one of those things is done to you. But Isaiah 53 verse 7 tells us, He was painfully abused, but he did not complain. He was silent like a lamb being led to the butcher, as quiet as a sheep having its wool cut off. Jesus was so perfectly holy and he knew the job he had to do. He was so free from sin that no temptation, no provocation could exhort even a bad word from him. He made a choice in every moment to trust his Father God. He could easily have got even. I mean, he's the Son of God. He's all-powerful. But have you noticed Jesus never uses his power and his almightiness for his own gain. 
And how did he do that? It says because he let God take care of him. God is the one who judges rightly. The NIV says he entrusts himself to him who judges justly. Jesus lived in total dependence on God the Father. He 100% trusted him. And so he put up with everything. Because he knew the judgment of God will come in the end. And the judgment of God, the wrath of God is like proper scary. Because God is right and he is just. And so Jesus didn't try to bring about his own justice. He didn't make justice for himself. He, let, he left it in God's hands. And as Christians, we're sometimes called to suffer too for doing good. And there'll be times when we haven't done or said anything wrong, but we'll be treated unfairly and unjustly. How do we respond when we're treated differently or unfairly? Our human instinct is to fight back, isn't it? To be defensive, sassy, rude, nasty even sometimes. But Jesus chose not to. He put himself and his situation into God the Father's hands. And he left it there. And he didn't try to bring about his own justice. So I feel that's quite a lot to take in. We're going to pause for a minute. I'm going to give you a moment just in your heads to chat to God. Has someone done something bad to you this week? Is there a really unfair situation happening in your life? I don't know. Or maybe just something I've said has triggered something in you. It could be quiet for a minute. You could do a bit of business with God in your head. And so we'll move on to verse 24, which says, Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross. He did this so that we would stop living for sin and start living for what is right. And we are healed because of his wounds. So the the suffering of Jesus is clearly an example as a role model for us, as we saw in verse 23. And we know that the devil uses suffering to draw us away from God doesn't he? Whether it's unjust suffering like Jesus had, or even if it's we're seriously ill, someone we love dies, that stuff doesn't go our own way. When God doesn't wave his magic wand and make things as we want them, immature believers can decide to walk away. Or we can endure like Christ, keep trusting God, keep giving our situations to him. But Jesus's suffering was more than just an example He suffered voluntarily, not for himself, but for us. It says, he himself bore our sin. And I was reading about it, and the emphatic expression, he himself is used by Peter, as a reminder to his listeners that Jesus was the final living being sacrificed for sin. 
So God is 100% holy, pure, and good, and he hates sin. And whether we like it or not, in our 21st century, wishy-washy, tolerant of everything kind of way of looking at the world, the Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. Yeah, the wages, the consequence of sin is death. And there has to be bloodshed for it to satisfy divine justice. So the priests in the Old Testament, we know they sacrificed animals and the animal's blood was shed as a substitute so the people weren't killed for their sin. But then Jesus does it once for all time for everyone after that. Hebrews 9 tells us this. He wasn't like a high priest who goes into the most holy place each year to offer the blood of an animal. If he had offered himself every year, he would have suffered many times since the creation of the world. But instead, near the end of time, he offered himself once and for all so that he could be a sacrifice that does away with sin. So if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who took your punishment, he's your substitute before Almighty God, then you are forgiven. The children's version we used this morning says, Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross. So although he never sinned, he carried ours. I don't know if you have this thing at home, no one ever wants to put the bins out. And I've noticed particularly teenagers don't like putting bins out. So this is where I get my own back, James. This is my eldest son, James. He is not a teenager anymore, so he doesn't moan when we ask him to take the bins out. But he did used to. So James here is going to represent Jesus. He even has it on his T-shirt. Um, and imagine that bin bag is smelly, dirty, it's heavy, it's like your sin. But Jesus, as he stood on the cross, he carried it for you. But not just one bin bag, everyone's bin bags that are like dirty and smelly and no one wants to touch them. But Jesus, in his perfect holiness, touched your sin, picked it up and carried it. Your sin is dealt with once for all. And each new sin that we do or we remember, it's already dealt with. That doesn't mean we hold it lightly, but it is dealt with. Thank you, James. You pop it there. So do you sometimes wonder whether there are certain things God can and can't forgive? I don't know, like maybe you're not yet a Christian and you're like, oh, I've done this and that, but does God know, you know? And do you sometimes wonder if he harbors bad thoughts towards you, that one day you'll get what you deserve? No, no, and no. It's good for us to continually confess our sin to God. It is the right thing to do because it stops our shame at our sin becoming a barrier from our end, not God's, from our end between us and God. So we have, we have another love-hate thing in our house, okay? Going to the hygienist. My husband hates going to the hygienist. I'll put your hands up if you love going to the hygienist. Oh, there are a few of us, not many. <laughs> but I love that feeling. All the plaque and the tartar that's built up on my teeth gets scraped away. And then my teeth feel really fresh and new and really clean. And we need the hygienist because we let things build up to a level that's dangerous for us and can cause gum disease and stuff. 
And I think, with sin, I don't like to let things build up. I find that really unhelpful for me. Okay, from God's perspective, it's carried, it's done. But for me, Sarah, sometimes I can be like Adam and Eve, and I want to hide from God. And I, yeah, but I thought that again, and I've said sorry so many times. Or I said that thing today, and I shouldn't have said it because it probably hurt that other person. Do you have those moments? Sin can build up, and it's just really unhelpful. So let's try and keep short account with God. Your sin is dealt with, it's carried, it's done. Don't let it build up like we let sometimes that plague and tartar build up on our teeth. Don't let it be a barrier between you and God. The devil loves that. He loves that. You hide from God. I don't want to hide from God. I want to keep short account. This is what the amazing Spurgeon says, much better than me, of course. He says, He who bore my sins in his body on the tree, he took all my debts and paid them for me. And now I am dead to those debts. They have no power over me. I am dead to my sins. Christ suffered instead of me. I have nothing to do with them. They are gone as much as if they had never been committed. So by Jesus' wounds on the cross, we are spiritually healed, put right with God. And that should lead us to living in a way that's honoring to God. Verse 25. You were like sheep that went the wrong way. But now you have come back to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So as human beings, we know, left to our own devices, we wander off. We go our own way. We don't think we need God. I can be God of my life. And then we make stupid and dangerous decisions without even realizing it sometimes. And in our English translations, it says we return, we come back, as if it's our doing. But apparently in the originals, when you read around it, in the original, it says, but we are returned. So that's the passive use of the verb. We didn't do it. It was done for us. We are returned. And it shows it was divine grace. It was done for us. We didn't initiate it, which takes us back to what one Peter said previously about us being elect, chosen by God himself. And I've done some reading around sheep because I'm no expert. Uh, And apparently when a sheep wanders off, it just stands there and bleats. And it's not because sheep are stupid. We always make this assumption sheep are stupid. Actually, apparently that's not why. It's because sheep are flock animals. A sheep's natural instinct is to stay with the flock for protection. So once they're on their own, they're not used to that. And they're like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? Where do I go? I don't know. Where's the rest of my flock? So they don't know what they're doing. Um, Becca Poston made an amazing clip on this for the children over lockdown. I think it explains it perfectly. So we're going to show you a little clip. There's one missing. The good shepherd began to cry. The good shepherd searched high and low for his lost sheep. He was determined and would not give up. He loved all the sheep too much. Can you see the sheep? He's getting into a bit of trouble, isn't he? The good shepherd reached out, carried the sheep home in his loving arms and brought the lost sheep home to the flock. 
The shepherd was so happy to have found him. The good shepherd and all the sheep had a party to celebrate that the lost sheep had been found. We're the most fun in kids' church. <laughs> but I think that shows it really clearly. The sheep got lost. They didn't know what it was doing. But the shepherd came to get the sheep and collected him in his loving arms. And so the job of a shepherd, I have read, is to retrieve any strayed animals, like that guy did, to feed the sheep, to provide a good, safe pasture or place for them, to gather them in his arms and gently lead them, to look after them when they've got diseases, and to protect them from prey from fiercer animals. Doesn't that sound good? The top shepherd rescued me. He looks after me. He protects me. And I remember the night I became a believer, it's finding rest for my soul. And that's really hard to, un, to explain, isn't it? You know, life carries on as normal. I said I had exams to do at university. Like, life is normal, but inside, on the inside, I was different. And there's like this peace, this security that I can't put into words. But it's like coming home from a long journey. You know, our, our youngest son, Matt, he's at university in Lincoln. And I drove up there once in the snow. I hate driving in the snow. I was crying, driving through the snow. And I was like, <gasps> by the time I got there. But like somehow becoming a believer is like, oh, I've made it through a difficult journey and I'm safe. And the top shepherd guy, he's, he's got me. He's got me in his arms and he's going to protect me. What a beautiful thing to be shepherded by Jesus. And like real sheep, let's choose to stay with the flock and not wander off. Because it's a scary place out there. Let's stay with the shepherd and each other for protection. You know, be accountable to each other. If you're, if you're watching online and you haven't been back, come back. Get into a life group. You know, Be with other people. Let's be a flock that stays together for our own protection. It is much harder doing life on our own. So to summarize, we're at the end. Peter reminds us in verse 22 that Jesus was without sin. Wow. In verse 23, that Jesus suffers with us and shows us how to suffer well. In verse 24, that Jesus suffers for us, carrying our sin so that we don't have to anymore. And in verse 25, that Jesus comes looking for us. He brings us home and offers us rest for our souls. Four really familiar but really beautiful verses. And however long or short we've been a Christian, it's good to be reminded, isn't it? I need to preach the gospel to myself quite often. I need to be reminded of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of how incredible he is. And Peter obviously felt his needers, readers needed to be reminded of that in the midst of their suffering. And I just felt when I was preparing this that, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, if you're in the room or you're watching or you're watching in three weeks' time on catch-up and you think that makes sense for the first time, I would love to become a believer. I'd love to be part of the flock I want rest for my soul. Then do it today or while you're watching. Don't, like in that meeting at CU, I just was like, yeah, 
I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian, to be frank. I just knew I believed that this was true, and something in my heart changed. So you don't need to know everything. But if you think, oh, I'd love to become a believer today or watching, I'd lo- in a moment I'll pray. It'd be lovely if you put your hand up. You come and talk to me at the end. I'll try not to disappear back to the pod and the children, and I'll stay here. Or if you're watching online, call the church office. And I'll have a coffee with you to chat stuff through. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't hang around. Yeah. Just, let's just do it this morning. Find rest for your soul. I'm going to pray. So if everyone could close their eyes. And if you want to respond, then pop your hand up. And only I'll see you. Jesus. You are amazing. As we look at this again, as we're reminded again, you are amazing. You lived into your 30s without sin for us. You suffered horrendous things for us because you saw the big picture. You were the final sacrifice for sin, and we thank you. We thank you that you are the top shepherd who comes looking for us, takes us gently in your arms like we saw in that video and that you look after us, protect us. God, I pray you will have done stuff in people's hearts today. And I pray that you help us to keep loving you, remembering you, staying with the flock, suffering in an enduring Christ-like way when we need to. Jesus, we love you. And all the people said, Amen.